0: On this bonus episode of Common Mystics, we revisit our hometown of Forest Park, Illinois and share spooky stories from our childhood. I'm Jennifer James. I'm Jill Stanley. We're psychics. We're sisters. We are Common Mystics. We find extraordinary stories in ordinary places. And this week, we complete our two-part series on our hometown haunts in Forest Park, Illinois. That's absolutely right. Jill, can you tell us a little bit about part one for those of our listeners who might not have listened?
1: Well, first I want to say I think it would be a good idea if you hadn't heard part one of this very special two-part bonus episode. Stop right now and go back and listen to it. I agree. But what we discussed and described in part one was the history? We touched on a little bit of the history of Forest Park, the traditions of Native Americans who had buried their dead among or along the Desplaines River, and how the white man who came in the area followed suit. And eventually, it caused Forest Park to be notable for having more dead bodies than living people. Mm-hmm. Some of those dead bodies had been misplaced, as we found out through our research. With the construction of the Eisenhower Expressway. Creepy stuff. Right. What else? We discovered that there were multiple locations where there was satanic activity and worship around town. Creepy. Yeah, that was that was not okay with me. Mm-mm. There was also a rich history of the criminal underground, such as bootleggers and mobsters in Forest Park that are still haunting the place. Right. Who knew? I
0: know. So... Today, we're going to do part two and talk more about our personal spooky experiences, as well
1: as those of some of our friends who also lived in Forest Park. Jen, let's get right into it. Bring us to Burkhart Court in Forest Park. Describe that location for me.
0: So we had some friends who lived right on Burkhart Court in Forest Park, which is a little street just north of Madison Avenue. Now, Madison Avenue is downtown Forest Park. That's where most of the traffic, the shopping, the restaurants are. It's a busy happening place. And yet, if you turn north on Burkhart from Madison Avenue, it feels strangely
1: secluded. Would you agree? Absolutely. So our friends Jonathan and Megan lived in the house that was the last house on the left on this little dead end street burkhart court if you went to burkhart court at night and you try to get into their house the scariest thing is if the door was locked because then you would have to wait for someone to come open the door and all you're thinking is like come on come on for absolutely no reason you are just anxious about getting into the house and getting into their living room (laughs)
0: that's nuts
1: it's true so I want to share with you one of Jonathan's stories from the house on Burkhart Court. So tell me what happened to Jonathan. So when Jonathan was a little boy, I think around eight or nine, he was sleeping in bed and it was late at night and he was woken up by the feeling that someone was watching him Ooh. and his eyes when they adjusted in the dark, it looked as if there was a figure standing in front of him. And he was immediately scared, and he was noticed he had trouble moving. And as he was just looking at this figure, it came clear to him that he thought that this figure was an alien. And he still was feeling trapped by unseen forces, unseen hands holding him down in place. Oh, no. Eventually, he went back to sleep. But when he woke up later on he was in the exact same position. That's creepy. Mm -hmm. So even if he was like dreaming and it didn't happen, how like consciously he was in the exact same position in his dream, a little weird. Totally weird. Ooh, that is freaky. Mm -hmm.
0: You were also friends with his sister who lived in the same house.
1: That's true. My Maggie. Tell us about Megan. Megan had shared a story with me that's crazy creepy. So... Their house was essentially an apartment building. The front door, when you opened it up, there were stairs leading up to a porch. And then two doors, one into their living room. And then down the hall a little bit on the porch was another door that led to steps going upstairs to the upstairs apartment. Well, the door to their living room had three glass windows in the door. So you can see if anyone was on the porch. Okay. So Megan... One night, I think it was a Saturday night, Megan was watching TV in the living room and she heard the screen door from the porch bang and she was expecting her younger brother to run up the stairs and come into the living room as he often does. She didn't hear any footsteps and no one came into the living room. So she looked and in the three windows that were in the door, she saw a dense black figure that looked to be hooded as if it was wearing a cloak with a hood no she was so
0: scared holy cow Mm -hmm. what did what did she tell you she thought it was
1: she said she thought it was death wow like the grim reaper i know crazy
0: that's crazy, creepy, Jill. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I have another creepy story. Tell me. If any of our listeners listened to our bonus episodes about our mom and our grandma, then they know that we grew up with a brand of Catholicism that was intertwined with the supernatural and the practice of earth magic and the divination arts. That's fair. Yeah, wouldn't you say? Mm-hmm. But we went to Catholic school with many friends who did not have the same supernatural inclinations. And our sister Jessica was in school at St. Bernadine's Catholic School with two good friends of hers. We'll call them Emily and Allie. Emily, Allie, and our sister Jessica were really, really tight friends. So I know this to be true. Now, Emily and Allie's families were both strict Catholics. Emily and Allie wanted to try out the Ouija board, and their parents said no. They could not have a Ouija board or a spirit board. It was the devil's play. Little Catholic girls don't do that. Mm-hmm. Okay, You're asking for bad news if you do that. Mm-hmm. But they would not take no for an answer. And when their parents wouldn't buy them one, they decided to make their own. So they found... A scrap of wood in a rectangular shape from Emily's dad's wood pile in the backyard. Mm. And they made a Ouija board or a spirit board by writing yes and no and the numbers one through nine and the letters A through Z. And then they used a glass turned upside down as the planchette or the indicator that you would push around the board when you're having communication with the spirits, right? Uh huh. And so. They knew that their parents would not allow them to use this. Right. So they waited until a day when Emily's family wasn't home. Mm. And then they went into her living room. Uh Uh-huh. And they sit, they sit in the middle of the floor. And they're sitting knee to knee. And the board is balanced on their laps. And their fingers are on the glass, which is turned upside down on the board. And they ask the first question and the glass starts moving gently at first, but then it starts to move more wildly around Uh. the board until they start to get scared and one of them yells, stop. And at that moment, the board flies up off of their laps and crashes into a statue of Jesus that happens to be sitting on the table in the corner they were so terrified they shot up and they grabbed each other and they were crying hysterically and that's when Anne, emily's older sister walked into the room and found found them hysterically crying oh my god and from that day on they weren't allowed to be friends anymore their families would not allow them to hang out together anymore
1: oh my god do you believe that That's crazy. That's crazy. That's really crazy. You have some strong thoughts on the Ouija board. What do you mean? (laughs) Do I? Yeah, you did. You had some strong thoughts on the Ouija board, how if you make your own, you're asking for like double the trouble. It makes it more special.
0: You're right. You're right. I forgot that we talked about that. Absolutely. I do think that, that if you put a lot of energy into creating something like a spirit board, that intention of even creating it, I think that alone can conjure up something. Mm -hmm. I think it makes it even more powerful. I'm not doing it.
1: (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Yeah, neither am I. So our next story comes from our friend Veronica, and she lived across the street from us. You spent a lot of time in that house. I did. And this first story is just about me spending the night with Veronica. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> we were in Veronica's room, and the light fixture in the room was was very plain, and it was just really a light bulb screwed in, and to the socket. It had to the socket right and it had at one time that metal um pull cord that metal chain that you pull down yep to turn it on and off but that had broken so the light was broken and it was just off so in a room there were like lamps and we because we were spending the night I had like a flashlight and that's um how we lit the room well we were laying in bed and we were giggling doing like just saying like ridiculous things. We weren't talking anything spooky or anything. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, the light turns on. Oh
0: my god.
1: And there's literally no way for to turn on the light physically. So what happened next? We scream Her dad, I remember her dad being in the room and us explaining to him, like, no, that light turned on because he was like, what's going on here? And we're like, no, 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 that light turned on. And I can't believe it. But Veronica told me I did spend the night and I did not go home, which I find really (laughs) unbelievable. So we lived right across the street from Veronica. That's right. And
0: our house was um, a bungalow built in 1912. It uh, had a basement with a basement apartment, a main level, and then uh, two bedrooms and a bath upstairs. But it was the part of the house that faced the street or the front half of the house that I always thought was the creepiest.
1: And I, I totally agree. I totally agree.
0: So, for instance, like the front door was, of course, in the front of the house, and there was this small foyer and a and a creepy closet. And at night, when I was supposed to lock the front door before I went to bed, I would always run in there, run into the foyer, lock it, and run out mm-hmm. for no reason other than it was creepy. The front door was creepy. You're right. It was. What about you?
1: You know, it's funny. In the basement, in that same area of the house, mm-hmm. I did the same thing. If I were leaving the basement, I would haul my butt out of it. I never walked out of our basement in a slow place. I was always like jogging or sprinting out for that very same reason. I don't know why. It's like turning your back on something. Something that you can't see. Yeah. A hundred percent. Absolutely. Crazy,
0: crazy. Now upstairs, we slept in the bedroom in the back of the house, but mom's room was in the front of the house overlooking the street. And I remember being a kid Laying in her bed because I had stayed home from school and I was sick, and she was like feeding me liquid Jello. Mm. It was kind of nice, anyway. But I remember laying there in the in the late afternoon in the wintertime just when it started to get dark, and being scared because I kept seeing faces come out of the bedroom walls.
1: Oh, that is super creepy. It was really creepy. Oh my god, faces, yeah.
0: I know. That's scary. And it's that front the front of the house. Mm-hmm.
1: Mom was laying in bed on her stomach because she worked crazy hours. She was always working like two or three jobs. And she was trying to catch a rest. And she thought that our sister had approached and sat on the bed. She felt the indentation of like someone sitting next to her. And she turned around to say, hey. And there was no one there. Mm. Wow. Uh-uh-uh. I believe that. Uh, yeah. What else happened to you upstairs? <laughs> so I we that was upstairs between our room and mom's room was the main bathroom where we bathed. And I was in the bathtub and I heard our sister come up the steps. And now I can tell you I heard our sister specifically because our steps Had No carpet on them and you can identify who was on the steps by their walk. So I knew I knew exactly who it was coming up the steps. And unfortunately for me, I didn't have anything to cover up with appropriately to get out of the bathtub and to go into our room to change. I left my clothes in the bedroom. So I was like, um, you need to go back downstairs so I can get out. And nothing happened. No one talked back to me. No one went down the step. So I like was sitting there Hmm. like yelling like, oh, my God, I cannot believe you're doing this. I have somewhere to be. And nothing for like 20 minutes. I'm like sitting cold in the tub. So finally, I put on like my old clothes, nasty, which you do not want to do. And I go out and I... That is nasty. Oh, it's so gross. And I go into our bedroom and there's no one there. There's no one upstairs.
0: So no one had walked up the stairs. No. Creepy. I believe it. Did I ever tell you about my sleepover?
1: Yes, but can I tell you one more funny thing? Yeah. It's about you. Go ahead. When you were older and needed your privacy... You were able to take over the den that was downstairs as your bedroom. That's true. That's right off the dining room. You had gone somewhere. I don't know where you were, but I, too, felt the need for some privacy, and (laughs) I wanted... And I wanted to see how it felt to have your own room for the night. So I tiptoed into your bedroom and snuggled in your day bed. And I felt so comfortable. <laughs> mm, you're not laughing. <laughs> mm, uh-huh. Goldilocks. <laughs> exactly. Um, This bed is just right. So <laughs> I'm laying in bed and... <sighs> It's you know, I'm fine. I'm excited because I like You're I laying feel... in my bed. Yes. And I'm feeling like um, I'm feeling good about it. <laughs> <laughs> Sometime during the night, though, I have to tell you, I got that feeling like someone was watching me. So I was laying there. Have you ever done this? If you feel like like there's a ghost and you're like playing possum you're like if they're asleep that if I'm asleep they're not right, gonna right. They, like yeah. put
0: the put the covers up over your head like mm-hmm, they can't uh, see me now it's like I'm sleeping I'm sleeping I'm sleeping
1: so that's <laughs> what I was doing and so I was like oh it's fine so I ended up going to sleep that night but in the morning it was like really early the doorbell starts ringing and the doorbell chimes were right outside your bedroom door and they were like, ding, 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 ding. Like someone was going buck trying to get in the house, like to get someone to answer the door. So I was like, dude. So I was like, I don't know who this is. So I get up and I check the front door. No one's there. So then I go and I walk through the house to the back door, down the stairs. And as I'm approaching the back door, you're walking through the gate. And we make eye contact. <laughs> and I'm like, why are you reading the <laughs> I remember about? that. <laughs> You were all bedhead, half asleep,
0: and you were like, and I'm, you're like, why did you ring the bell? And I was like, I didn't ring the bell. I have a key. I live here. What is wrong with you?
1: Yeah, remember? And then I do remember because then, then um, I walked into my own cold bed. <laughs> did you like? Weren't you like? Why is my bed warm? I, you know, I didn't go right to bed, so
0: I didn't even realize that you had been there. Oh, that is so funny. So, some ghost like helped you out because I would have been really pissed to come home and find oh. you in my room. And they knew that too because they were like,
1: ding, 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 <laughs> ding.
0: <laughs> so, there weren't all bad ghosts in the house. <laughs> that is funny.
1: Tell me about your stories you were going to tell.
0: Uh, okay. So, I was about in third grade and I was going to have a few friends sleep over and there were four of us all together so three of my friends were sleeping over and we didn't have a lot of space in the house so instead of sleeping up in the bedroom where you girls were we camped out in the front room in the living room by the front door in the front of the house and that sounds like fun it was so we had our sleeping bags and we were giggling and talking and playing games and it was getting later and later. And dad came down at least once already to be like, you girls need to stop talking and go to sleep. I mean, you know, like Um. anyway, so we were already kind of in trouble, but we are waiting for midnight because you've heard of the legend of Bloody Mary, of course. Of course. Well, it 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 has a lot of different versions. But when I was growing up, the version I learned was that you went in front of a dark mirror uh. at night and you repeated 13 times, I believe in Bloody Mary. Now, it's better if you had a candle, but I didn't have a candle. And I wasn't about to play with fire. <laughs> so um, what's, what's supposed to happen is after you repeat it, I believe in Bloody Mary, 13 times, you're supposed to conjure the spirit of Bloody Mary.
1: mm uh. Then what? What do you do with her?
0: (laughs) I, well, you know, I don't know what you do with her then, but but that's not the point, Jill. The point is to conjure her. (laughs) Gotcha. So um, my friends and I, we're waiting for midnight, right? That's the witching hour, waiting for midnight. I don't know if it's the witching hour, but our young minds thought it was. So midnight comes and we're daring each other to go into the hall bathroom, to go you know, through the dining room into the hall bathroom and say, I believe in Bloody Mary 13 times. And we keep chickening out. So we decide to go all together. Mm-hmm. So we, we, we tiptoe past the stairs leading upstairs where our parents and you, and you guys are and, um, through the dining room into the hall bath. And there's this big oval gold framed mirror. Right. And so we all huddled in front of it. And we said 13 times, I believe in Bloody Mary. I believe in Bloody Mary. I believe in Bloody Mary. Five times. I believe all the way up to 13 times. And we're doing it and nothing's happening. And it's dark, but it's not so dark that it's pitch black because there was a window in there and there was enough street light and moonlight shining in. So we can see our dark reflections peering back at us as we're chanting, I believe in Bloody Mary. I believe in Bloody Mary. And then, I kid you not, suddenly... There is a figure above us and behind us on the left that is shrouded and a dark face.
1: That is not okay.
0: And we screamed mm. and ran through the dining room back into the living room where we got into our sleeping bags and we're like crying, laughing, crying, laughing. You know the <laughs> yes. crying, laughing? Yes, I do. And then dad came downstairs and was like, "Jennifer, I'm going, you know, you know what I mean?" So he yelled at us what and did then he, he say? went back upstairs. <laughs> he said, "Jennifer, I'm going to beat you and take your friends home <laughs> if you guys don't go to sleep right now." And so he went back upstairs and I was like, "Um, girls, he's really he's literally going <laughs> to beat me." <laughs> and drive you all home if we're not really 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 quiet. But the games weren't over. Oh my because god. Because we knew some quiet witchy games <laughs> and which was a much better idea than running around screaming and conjuring the the ghost of bloody mary so the next thing we did was light as a feather stiff as a board you know this one right
1: of, yeah of course
0: yes yeah. okay so the idea is somebody one of your friends lays down crosses you know their hands over their chest and then the rest of you kneel around her And you only use two fingers on each hand and you put them under her body. And then you repeat, light as a feather, stiff as a board. Light as a feather, stiff as a board. As many times as it takes for the body to levitate up using just two fingers on each hand. So this seemed like a good idea because it was a more quiet game. So we all knelt around. Now remember there was only four of us. So one person was on the right One person was on the left and one person was at the head with two fingers under each shoulder. And we started saying, light as a feather, stiff as a board, light as a feather, stiff as a board. I don't know how many times we said it. We said it over and over again, almost like we were meditating it until, until the body of my friend laying on the ground literally started to raise one inch, two inch, three inch we raised her off the floor six inches before we were so freaked out by what was happening we dropped her oh
1: my god
0: (laughs) we dropped her and and then we stopped because it was just too much at that point oh my god but yeah that totally worked and it was freaky and I don't think it was a coincidence that all of this happened when we were spending the night in that front room
1: okay so I just have to say something um when Jen was originally when we were talking out our stories that we were going to share with you she's like didn't you ever do I believe in Bloody Mary and I was like yes I have done it but it never worked like like oh my god
0: that no, it worked
1: oh my god it
0: absolutely worked
1: light as a feather stiff as a board that's crazy too but the Bloody Mary thing that gave me nightmares just the thought of it
0: yeah, that that was scary.
1: Oh my god! She says hi, by the way. Oh,
0: stop! <laughs> <laughs> that's not right.
1: Oh, so so do you do you believe our house was haunted? Yes, I totally believe our house was haunted. But there is a. I do too. There was a notable haunted house in Forest Park that everyone knew it was haunted. Mm, that's right. It's the Lobstein House. Yes.
0: It is a large Victorian house that was built in the late 1890s. It's really notable. It stands out in Forest Park as being one of the oldest, but also one of the biggest and most beautiful. It's over 4,000 square feet. And that's a large house if you have like half an acre mm-hmm. in Forest Park. It had a huge covered porch on the front of it, a turret. Mm. Um and it was painted a deep green color had all of this intricate millwork around the eaves and of course the stained glass windows. I mean it's just it's still there. It's just a gorgeous
1: home. It is. It's breathtaking. And it was a block away from St. Bernardines where we went to school and church. That's right. And we used to walk to and from school,
0: and yet we never walked in front of that house. We never even walked down that block on Elgin. For some reason, it just didn't feel right. We always either cut through an alley or took a different way, but we never wanted to walk directly in front of that house. And if we had to go down that street, we would cross the street. To give us some distance. I mean, it was, the, it had that sort of energy. It was just emanating mm-hmm.
1: ghosts. So, do you think other kids around town knew or felt the same way about that house that we did? Well, Jill, when
0: I was a kid, all my friends and I all knew it was haunted.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You could look at it and tell it was haunted. Nobody had to tell us it was. So, I believe so. What about you and your
1: friends? Oh my gosh, absolutely. But there was a Chicago Tribune article in 2006 where the mayor of Forest Park was asked about the house. And he said, and this is a quote from Mayor Anthony Calderon, he said, he doesn't know if parents had told the kids about the house or if kids tell other kids or how word gets around, but it's always been captioned as the haunted house. Uh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. House is haunted. Right. You know what else is pretty cool is that that house was also written about and featured in different books. The National Directory of Haunted Places features the house, and that book was by Dennis Williams Hawk and Haunted Chicago, Famous Phantoms, Sinister Sites, and Lingering Legends by Tom Ogden. Wow. I did not realize it was that written about. That's crazy. Yeah, it's notable, not just for Forest Parkers, but around the surrounding areas nuts Mm -hmm.
0: well you know we looked a little bit into the lore surrounding the house and people say that mr lobstein the owner of the house had a wife named adeline or Addie, who died giving birth in the house okay and she is purportedly one of the ghosts that haunts it people also say that the child that she died giving birth to charlie was supposed to be insane and that he committed suicide in the attic by hanging himself at the age of 12. Oh my. And Charlie is purportedly the other ghost. So that's the lore, the story surrounding the ghosts at that house.
1: Have you heard any accounts of modern day happenings as far as haunted activity in the house? There was, in that same 2006 article, they
0: discussed some of the hauntings and poltergeist activity that people have reported. What's interesting, Jill, is for some reason, and nobody knows why, but on November 6th of every year, there is a spike in poltergeist activity. Isn't that odd? That is crazy. Nobody knows why it's November 6th, but lights will go on by themselves, particularly in the attic and there were, would be neighbors who would see lights going on in the library at like 3 or 4 in the morning and shadows walking around in the attic windows. That's creepy. That
1: is way creepy.
0: Also, loud noises would be heard in the attic, not just like creaks like an old house settling. People would report that it would sound like the entire roof was caving in Or, like, there were people having a fight up there. Oh, my gosh. And on one occasion, the owners went up to the attic to investigate, and they found that there was a huge, heavy roll of plastic sheeting that was up in the attic. It weighed a couple of hundred pounds, and it had moved from one side of the attic clear to the other
1: side by itself. Oh, my gosh. These classic poltergeist activity and haunts were also experienced by other people, other people that didn't live in the house. So when the house was being renovated in the late 1990s, there were reports by the construction workers of footsteps, especially up in the attic where the attic was carpeted wall to wall, doors being closed by themselves. Mm. There was a painter who went up there with a spray gun and the gun was working, but he couldn't get it to work in the attic. So he was like, forget it. This isn't working and left. And he felt creepy. I myself during the renovation in the late 1990s had gone in that house with two of my classmates. That's crazy. They wouldn't let us in the attic. Oh no. Mm -hmm. There are other reports too about visitors
0: to the house in particular There was one that reported seeing a female figure with long brownish hair sitting at the end of the bed. Oh, God. I don't even know what I would do. And then, oh, there was a three-year-old girl who was visiting. She was sitting watching TV. Suddenly, she looked over at the bottom of the oak staircase and said, Mommy, mommy, lady, lady. The little girl said she saw a lady standing there in a white gown.
1: Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. Yeah. Jen, so let's separate facts from fiction. What did we find when we researched the house?
0: Well, if you recall, the stories talk about Addie, Mr. Lobstein's wife, dying, giving birth in the house to a boy named Charlie, who then kills himself at the age of 12. However, the facts are that Mr. John Lobstein built the mansion in the 1890s for his second wife, Addie. Now, his first wife, Christina, did die in childbirth, but that was not in the house, and it was before the house was even built. Okay. Okay? Now, Addie did live in the house, and uh, they raised seven children together, but also Addie's brother, Charlie, lived with them in the house. And... He wasn't her son, clearly, but her brother, and he died at the age of 64. And there's no evidence that he committed suicide in the house at all. And as for Addie, she also died in the house, but it was in 1933 when she was the ripe old age of 81.
1: Well, it doesn't seem like the hauntings in the house can be attributed to any tragic or sudden deaths there. So, yeah. What did you find that can help explain some of that that haunting activity? Well,
0: you know, we looked into John Lobstein himself. And he, there might be some negative restless energy attached to him. Explain yourself. Well, it seems that he had some curious business dealings. Clearly, he made a lot of money. Yeah. He was in the lumber business, and he had some shady or dishonest dealings with the county and the state to build a mental asylum in Cook County, Illinois. Mm. Apparently, he was overcharging the municipalities, according to the Chicago Tribune in an 1887 article, and he had legal issues associated with this situation. And his lumber company was mysteriously burned down that same year. Oh,
1: my gosh.
0: So, yeah, he had some uh, curious business dealings, to say the least. And that will attract some
1: negative energy, I think. Well, as a matter of fact, there is a notable paranormal researcher and author. Her name is Ursula Bilsky. And she runs Chicago Hauntings Tour, and when she was asked about the Lobstein house, she said she has never been there. But she says that the house may actually have captured the energy of whatever was going on in that house at the time the energy was released. That energy is imprinted there, like a memory in a landscape, like taking a picture.
0: Interesting. So why do you think that that house in particular really-
1: So why do you think that that house in particular is so spiritually charged? Well, I think for a couple reasons. One, he may have been under anxiety, had a lot of pressure, Mm. and that could attract spirits to you. Also, I think Mm. that the house itself, especially over the years, has been a place where people go there to experience something. That is the truth. Mm -hmm.
0: That is the truth.
1: And in a town like Forest Park, who knows what would show up there just to accommodate you.
0: So Jill, why do you think there's so much energy in the village of Forest Park?
1: There's so many reasons why people living and going through Forest Park feels that unsettled, unrested energy that's haunting the area. Number one, the Native American burial grounds that had been disturbed. Mm. How about all of the graves that were disrupted with the building of the Eisenhower Expressway? Oh my gosh. Or the satanic rituals that had taken place in Forest Park? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we ran into some evidence
0: of it, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> also, all the criminal activity, all the bootleggers and the mobsters that were associated with Forest Park. And let's
1: not forget... All of the cemeteries and all of the dead Mm. that are there in that small area. You know, it's funny. We always set the intention when we do these episodes to give voice to the voiceless. We do. I think in Forest Park, in the case of Forest Park, we are giving voice to those spirits that still call Forest Park home Mm. and that the living is only visiting there for a very short period of time. Wow. Wow. All of
0: us living souls are actually just visiting, aren't we?
1: Oh, wow. That was a little too creepy for me to digest. (laughs) I just can't. Jill, tell our listeners where they can find us. Well, you can check out our website, commonmystics.net. Find us on Facebook. You can listen and subscribe to us on Amazon Music, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, where you can leave us a positive review so other people can find us. And lastly,
0: this episode is dedicated to our Forest Park friends, both living and deceased, whose stories were included in this episode. Jonathan. Veronica. Jessica. Lisa. JR. Megan.
1: Hi, Megs. Dorothy.
0: Thank you all for sharing your stories with us. And inspiring us. Thank you. Good night. Thank you and good night.